0: Hello, and welcome to Melting Pot Stories, the podcast that is a literary love fest for multicultural books. I'm your host for the show, Lori L. Tharps. I'm a writer, an author of both fiction and nonfiction, a fan of all things multicultural, and I love books. On this podcast, you'll hear inspiring conversations about the stories behind our favorite diverse books and the latest news and reviews from the publishing world. Come on and join me. I promise this podcast will leave you lit. On episode 66 of the podcast, we're going to be talking about witches. Why? Because I want to but also because there is a growing number of women who are practicing witchcraft in the United States. And because this is America, there is a racial divide in this increasingly popular witching community. Apparently, black witches and white witches just can't get along. Cries of cultural appropriation, questions of who gets to call themselves a witch, and how witches are portrayed in popular media are all discussions that are happening in the witching world, and they are all discussions that require a multiracial perspective. In other words, there's a lot happening in this world of witchcraft that is seeping into popular culture, and I wanted to know more about it. That is why I am so excited to have Via Hedera as my guest for today's show. Via Hedera is a sculptor, folklore enthusiast, writer, and occult practitioner dedicated to folkloric witchcraft in the Americas, modern animism, and sacred art. Growing up in a multicultural and spiritually diverse community, she dedicates her time to the study of traditional witchcraft practices, ancestor veneration, and all things magical. Via is also the author of the just-released book, Folkloric American Witchcraft and the Multicultural Experience, and she is an expert in the multicultural history of witchcraft and witch lore in the United States. It's a history that includes African, indigenous, and European cultures, and it is fascinating. If you've never stopped to think how witchcraft, magic, and spirituality were a part of the fabric of this country, prepare to have your mind blown. Via is a wealth of knowledge and such a generous spirit. I absolutely loved our conversation and learned so much. If you've ever been curious about witchcraft beyond the Salem Witch Trials, you are going to love this conversation. But before we get to it, let's take a melting pot minute to talk about diverse bookish things. Hey book lovers! What are you reading these days? Me? I'm reading an advanced reader's copy of Caitlin Greenidge's book, Liberty. Caitlin is actually going to be a guest on the podcast in April, so I'm reading her book in anticipation of that interview. Liberty is really good. I'm about halfway through, and it's about this young Black girl who's growing up mostly in post-Civil War America. Her mother is a doctor, and she decides she doesn't want to be a doctor and follow in her mother's footsteps, and she ends up in Haiti, which has been through its revolution and Black people are going to Haiti because they believe that they can be freer there than they are in the United States. Not everybody, but our main character of this story, Liberty, that's her name, Liberty, she believes that she might have a better chance at being truly free by going to Haiti. So, again, I'm only halfway through the book right now, but it is so good and it's really making me think about that time in U.S. history post-Civil War when there was a lot of anticipation and ideas that Black people were finally going to get theirs and having this option to go to a fully Black-led country, just something that I never really thought about that time period. So, anyway, stay tuned for my full review and my interview with Caitlin in early April. Now. I was going to talk about some other fun literary stuff, but I feel compelled to use this moment in my platform to take a moment to acknowledge the pain and trauma that I know my Asian American brothers and sisters are feeling right now. I'm recording this episode on Saturday, March 20th, just a few days after a white man killed eight people in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And out of those eight people, six were Asian. This incident, while absolutely tragic, is only one of a rising tide of violence against Asian people in this country, much of it stoked by the former inhabitant of the White House around the COVID-19 virus. But I want to say something here. Violence against Asian Americans isn't new. It's just growing. And the thing is, because Asian Americans are often seen as the Quote unquote model minority, the violence that they are experiencing and the racism that they are receiving doesn't get covered in the media. The racism and discrimination just gets overlooked. So, to a lot of people, what happened in Atlanta is unbelievable. I've seen that in media coverage. It's unbelievable. I just can't believe that this happened. But Asian Americans have been at the receiving end of a lot of violence and racism and discrimination but it's sadly not covered. Go back and listen to last week's episode of my interview with Joanna Ho. We talked about that a little bit, this need for the Asian American community to be represented in all aspects of our media, not just the news media or the popular culture media like movies and television, but just even in the news media. So what we're seeing, yeah, it's tragic, but this is the world we're living in. And what we're living with is white supremacy. Black lives, Asian lives, indigenous lives, Latino lives, transgender lives. None of us are safe and free while white supremacy is allowed to flourish and remains unchecked. People of color, we have to support one another in these dangerous times. And white people have to fix their racism problem because racism is a white people problem. White supremacy is a white people problem. And because now this is a podcast about books, I'm gonna drop some links in the show notes for white people in particular, but anybody can read them. But I'm gonna drop the links for some books to help people figure out how to dismantle white supremacy because that's where we are. That's what needs to happen. Previously on this podcast, I spent a lot of time talking about dismantling white supremacy. So anybody can go back and listen to those episodes. I will put links to those in the show notes as well. But really it begins with unlearning what we think to be true and relearning the real history of this country, the real history of the people who made this country, and understanding the dignity and worth of all human beings. And again, that can all begin with a book. So please do yourselves a favor and check out the books that I'm leaving as resources listen to the podcast episodes, and really, if white people can't figure out how to undo white supremacy, maybe the multicultural witching community will just have to take matters in their own hands and cast a powerful spell to take care of things. I'm just kidding. But I needed a segue to get us back to our interview with Via Hedera and our discussion about the multicultural roots of witchcraft in America. So That was my segue, okay? So let's get to that conversation with Via Hedera. Welcome to Melting Pot Stories, Via Hedera.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So before we actually jump into this conversation, I want to give our listeners a little bit of a backstory as to why we are talking about your book today. So I don't even know what it was exactly that put me on this path, but I was just, I don't know, I was on the internet and I read some article that said something like there was a growing interest in witchcraft and witchy things amongst millennial women. But within that increase of interest, there was also a racial divide, that there were this growth of Black witches and white witches, and there were cries of cultural appropriation between the two groups. And this just struck me as so fascinating because I had never even thought about witches being racialized. I never, I didn't realize there was a quote-unquote growth and interest in the witching community. So I just kind of started falling down the rabbit hole. And because I'm interested in all things multicultural, I was like, well, where can I get answers? (laughs) And I think I Googled something like, multicultural witches. And your book came up. Your book, Folkloric American Witchcraft and the Multicultural Experience popped up. And I was like, no way, because in addition to multicultural things, I like books. So I was like okay, something mystical is happening right now. And not only did I find your book, but your book was like just about to come out. So I'm like, this is divine intervention. I need to find this author and bring her onto my podcast so we can have a conversation about multicultural witches and books. So- Via, thank you so much for existing. (laughs) Thank you so much for writing your book. And thank you so much for being here. How's that for an intro?
1: (laughs) That is amazing. And thank you so much. I actually, you know, I wrote this book for the exact reason that you were Googling. I was looking around and I realized that I wasn't finding a lot of other uh, mixed race and multicultural witches talking about their end of magic. It is very polarized racially. And it has been for a long time and only recently are mixed and, which is a color, finally stepping out into the forefront and saying, you know, there's a completely hidden history here that shouldn't be so hidden because it's actually the American story. It's our cultural narrative. It is where we intersect in so many ways, religiously, culturally, socially, spiritually, we intersect on these levels and nothing quite seems to connect people like the fear and the mystique of magic. That is a cultural touchstone that people seem to be able to share across all sorts of boundaries and has really come to define things here. So I, I started the book because I wanted to reach out and see if there were other people like me.
0: Well, I'm so glad you did. It's so fascinating. And it touches on so many of the things that I'm personally interested, you know, mul- any kind of kind of multicultural, but specifically in the history of this country, but also also religion as well and spirituality these things all just dovetail with my interest so much so before we get into your amazing book i want to just talk a little bit about you personally just to give everybody a sense of your background if you wouldn't mind can you share a little bit about you know how you grew up and how you became interested in this topic
1: absolutely so I grew up in East LA in the early '90s. I was born to a you know a really young mom who had been adopted from birth. She was of unknown mixed race heritage, and was adopted by my grandparents who were uh, Norwegian and Irish, respectively. And they had already adopted my aunt from Korea. They had adopted my mom then and raised her in this completely mixed sort of environment. They were well aware they weren't going to be able to give her the full knowledge of who she was as a person. But then again, there was a lot of gaps. There's a lot of missing questions about why she was adopted out, where she came from, what distinct ethnicities she was coming out of. And she sort of uh, raised us on this journey she was going through as she was trying to discover who she was. And it brought us around this incredible large family, this community of native Samoan, Caucasian, African-American, pretty much everybody you could think of, sort of my mom and my grandparents had sort of found this community of people. And that's how I was raised. To me, that was the normal. And so growing up, I was exposed to the folklore and the folk magic and superstitions of different kinds of people from all over the world, from all over this country, especially. And You know, that was everything from why I I couldn't speak ill of the dead and why we left certain plates out at certain times of the year for the dead to little things like placing pennies above the door when we move into a new house or sprinkling salt across the doorway. I noticed that these tiny little folk charms that nobody thought was magic, no one thought was witchcraft or spellcraft or anything like that, this seemed to permeate everywhere I was looking. This was a connecting point. People seemed to really understand each other when it came to This innate desire to protect themselves spiritually, magically from evil, from death, from illness. And every spirituality really promotes this sort of idea of placating the spirits or releasing evil or binding oneself from harm. And the more I started to find that root, the more I started to realize, you know, this all comes down to folk magic. This comes down to magical practices. And nothing quite says magic like witchcraft. So, for me, the natural exploration was, well, I you know I, I love all the magic, but I like the part where I get to have a lot of control. I like the part where I'm as wild as nature, and that is witchcraft, wild, natural, and you know, for me, it was something that helped me better understand all the people around me and connect to them in a way that I couldn't connect to maybe everybody through language and maybe not through religion and maybe not through politics, but I can definitely connect to people through the hidden history of superstition in their lives, through the magic that they bring into their lives.
0: I love that. That idea of the wildness of nature is beautiful. I'm wondering how do you, you said your mother was mixed race of unknown specific origins. How do you then identify ethnically?
1: Identify as mixed. When we were able to track down her birth family and when I was able to have more of a connection to my paternal birth family, it just sort of came out that no one on in either side is fully aware of what went on. There was a lot of missing children, there was a lot of children born of affairs the family tree intersects in some places where there was intermarrying within the family. Through doing a bunch of (laughs) DNA tests, my mom discovered that there's a lot of missing fathers and a lot of fathers who raised children that weren't theirs. So what it came down to is us sort of discovering that there's this entire side of her family in the Deep South that's white and Native, and then her paternal side, which is Black and Native. And how that all came together is still kind of a question we're trying to figure out. It seems to be expansive. And the more we look into it, the more there's like, well, that could be the father. But then again, she was kind of having an affair with the brother at the time and that keeps coming up. So um, eventually I was like, you know, the identity I most understand is just mixed. I'm mixed. I'm, I'm what happens when a bunch of people get thrown together for hundreds of years and this is it. (laughs) So I suppose that's my identity. Right. And that makes sense. And, you know, it
0: falls into this idea of this is America. I mean, I don't mean to diminish in any way, shape or form the identity of mixed because I believe that is its own unique identity. But when you look at this country, this is a country built on mixing in multiple spheres, right? So I think the way you have approached this interest in folklore and magic, it makes so much sense based on your background, but also based on this country that we live in, right? So what did your family members, like were they as positive as you were about pursuing this idea of magic and folklore and witchcraft? Or did they think you were like- a little, you know, loopy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, my father, who was, of course, the son of a Baptist minister, (laughs) he thought it was just very interesting. He thought it was a phase for a while. You know, he didn't understand the connection between superstition, magic, witchcraft, all of that. He was just like, well, sweetie, I love you. So I guess go ahead, you know, have at it. And his father, who's a minister, actually was incredibly supportive. He gave me some of my first books on witchcraft, on religion itself, and he told me that he is a firm believer that everyone has to find their own path to God or their own path to whatever it is that brings you great joy in this world that makes you a good person. You have to find whatever path that is. And he firmly believed that one religion couldn't answer that question for everyone. And he believed that as a Baptist minister. That's incredible. Yeah, he's incredible. He's incredible. A good reverend doctor. He, uh, he taught me that I have to find my own path. And I think that rubbed off on my dad really well. And my dad was like, well, I'm supportive. My mom, she was already very well acquainted with the practices of Santeria through uh, my foster mother, who was at the time of my childhood, one of her closest friends, my tia. She was a practitioner. And when we were in her care while my mom was going through stuff as a kid, she was a huge influence. My entire knowledge of Latin American folk magic comes through her and her family. So from my mom's angle, she was pretty supportive. Her family, my grandparents were very supportive. My grandfather read tarot cards and was very deeply into ancestor veneration through, you know, his Norwegian heritage. They were very supportive. I had so much support through my family. It was pretty amazing. And there were times where they were very confused with, you know, the pentagrams and, you know, they would see that and go now, okay, now what is this? (laughs) Now, are, are, are we dancing with the devil out there? What's happening? And, you know, after some education and some great teenage 15-year-old arguments I know better than you, mom and dad, we came to the conclusion that, you know, we might disagree on some things, but they know my heart's in the right place. I'm sure my father's still praying for my soul in church. He thinks I'm going to get into heaven on his good credit, and I'm, you know. (laughs) Well, I love this, and we're going to get into a
0: little bit more of this, but, you know, the idea, the cross-sections of spirituality, religion, God, and witchcraft is, you know, it's not like they're that far apart. I mean, some people would say that they're part of the same path. So we'll get into that in a second, because I think, you know, you bring that up in the book. But I want to just get, you know, I'm i am a writer, I'm a wordsmith, and I know language matters. And I was wondering if you can clarify this term witch, right? Like, I feel, and I think this is because of our society, you know, I feel like, like it almost gets stuck in my throat when I say like, are you a witch? Because I'm like, is that a bad thing to say? Like to call somebody a witch or is that the right term? And I've seen this term witchy, like all witchy things are popular now. I was like, is that offensive to call things like witchy? Is that like belittling this term? How do you define witch for yourself and do
1: you consider yourself a witch? Ooh, that's a great loaded question. You know, the fun part about a witch is that none of us are in agreement. Us witches all over the world are constantly arguing with each other online, in person, and through our books about what the definition of a witch truly is. Now, originally... The word witch has negative connotations, negative connotations biblically and in a lot of cultures. A witch in many cultures would be the spiritual practitioner like a shaman or a healer or something, but that person does not necessarily work for the good of the village. They work for the good of themselves. So, you know, in in terms of protecting the village, the village medicine person or shaman or cunning person or healer. That is a more positive connotation. That is a service that you provide to other people, and it's often tied to whatever religion is dominant there, like Christianity. However, a witch steps outside of that. A witch is in the service to the spirits, nature, and the self. Now, what that means depends entirely on the culture you're looking at, You know, the witch in American witch lore is based a lot around African, European, and Native American concepts of witches or things analogous to witches like shape changers or night riding hags, boo hags, basically the concept of a person who has the ability to commune with the spirits and have the spirits in some way interact with them. So on a very basic level, I would say that people who work in the service of spirits and with the practice of magic are witches they may not consider themselves witches and that's completely up to them that's fine there's a lot of words for a conjurer charmer enchanter sorcerer there's a million words and everyone seems to be um arguing about it i'd say for me a witch is a practitioner of magic who works in the service of the spirit specifically and of nature I think that it carries the connotation of being neutral morally. You are not a healer. You're not here to serve the community, but you're not necessarily here to do evil or or eat babies or anything terrible like that. You know, the things that are very much found in witch lore, um, (laughs) you know, that's not necessarily true for all. Has that been true in history for people who have practiced witchcraft? Absolutely. There's a dark end to every spiritual system you can find. There is a dark place and there's a place that's just neutral. That's just nature because nature is neutral.
0: Right. Absolutely. And then there's this other little minor question. Can both men and women be witches? Or is there a separate term for a male person who practices witchcraft?
1: You know, uh, literary terms have cropped up over time to sort of differentiate. But witch is a completely gender neutral term. In a lot of our old folklore, witches are described distinctly as men of the village or women it is most often applied to women because, uh, well, a lot of negative things in history are most often applied to women. <laughs> if a, right. a, m- a midwife loses a child, then of course she's a witch. If a woman uh, knows some science that the guy doesn't know, she's a witch. You know, it's often applied specifically as a sexually demeaning term for women, which is why it's been reclaimed by so many modern young women as a term of empowerment, self-empowerment.
0: Right. I'm just curious if you've read the book, The Once and Future Witches by Alex Harrow, I think is her last name. I think you pronounce it. Have you heard of it? Oh, not yet. Tell me about it. It's so good. It's so good. And it's just part of the rabbit hole I fell down with my kind of obsession with witches right now. But in that book, it's a novel that takes place at the end of the 1800s and the women's suffragette movement is in full swing and witches are kind of losing their power. And it centers on three sisters who are witches. The youngest sister wants to fully embrace her her witchiness, if you will, and her two other sisters are trying to kind of blend into society and forget their witching past. And so the fight for the right for women to vote mixes with the witchcraft that's brewing in this town. And it's just this incredible kind of alternate version of history. And it's really a women's empowerment story. I mean, on so many levels. And I loved it because the three sisters were white, but there were a segment of black witches in this town and they were defined differently. Um, And there was not strife between the two, but it was clear that they had a different path, right? But also there was mention of men who were also witches and that they too could practice this magic. And I just thought that was so fascinating because this book felt to me like this author had, you know, knew what she was talking about, but of course it's an alternative version of history, so she could have made it all up. But it was the first time I had heard the idea that witch craft or being a witch was not gender specific. So now let's actually jump into your book, which is so amazing, so fascinating, so well written. And you already said that you wanted to write the book because of your own sense that the multiracial history line and practicing of witchcraft is just not known. And I'm just going (laughs) to for your own pleasure and for the pleasure of our audience, I'm going to just read this one line that you wrote in here, this section about folklore in the United States. And you said, the folklore that influenced the perception of witchcraft in New England was a byproduct of English, German, Dutch irish and french settlers along with influences from the african slaves that were working in the colonies and the local tribes whose stories had been shared during those times of exchange the mysterious new world the fantastically foreign west african spiritualities and their own puritanical hysteria mixed with folklore and superstitions were a powder keg of tension that created some of our earliest witch lore as an early country and i'm like Boom, right there. There it all (laughs) is. So tell us a little bit, just if you could like summarize how witchcraft is this combination of European, African, and indigenous traditions in this country, as opposed to if you said historically, like what's witchcraft or witches in America? And that's all you get is Salem witch trials and the end So tell me a little bit more about how you see witchcraft in this country as a byproduct of multiple traditions and backgrounds.
1: Absolutely. As I was tracing through the collections of American folklore from everyone from Zora Neale Hurston to B.A. Botkin, the Memoirs of American Folklore Society, some of the oldest sources we have of folklore in America, I kept finding a trend here which was that there were completely connected practices, these fears that certain women could transform into birds and haunt you at night or into other shapes. This was shared between, I found in African-American folklore, native traditional folklore and storytelling, and of course in European witchcraft beliefs. They had this very firm understanding that a witch or a hag or some kind of spirit like that existed that could change shape, steal your milk malign all of your efforts, you know, somebody who had power or someone who simply had the power to divine, read cards, that was considered witchcraft too. Anything that wasn't in the eyes of the church considered to be a holy act or biblically uh, okay often was ascribed to witchcraft. And sometimes it was. Magic itself isn't witchcraft, but witches certainly do practice magic. And every culture that I've encountered has its own view of magic and a lot of cultures share the view that there are witches specifically that there are people who can wield invisible power or can wield power over spirits or animals who have secret knowledge of medicine and plants who are able to divine the future especially people who can read the future psychics fortune tellers they seem to also be ascribed the title of witch too and in new england you see a large history of mi or, or referred to as mulatto or octoroon or mixed-race people who are practicing fortune telling in New England in the 17 and 1800s, who are also being associated with poisoning cases and witchcraft. And of course that's linked. And of course, it's linked to the oppression of Afro-American spirituality, which was not witchcraft, but was being misunderstood as such. There are magical Practices within Ifa, within voodoo, within so many West African religions, there are magical practices, charms that help protect people against evil spirits, those kinds of things. And those are being misrepresented and also misunderstood as sheer witchcraft by the colonists. Same with Native American indigenous spirituality. They're seeing uh, rituals of dancing, rituals of honoring spirits that help defend warriors, spirits that are totemic to the tribe. They're seeing this as idolatry. And idolatry is witchcraft. So from this perspective, they're seeing all of this and they're putting it all together. They're thinking, oh, well... These slaves and the indigenous Americans, they're both doing this. They're worshiping their ancestors instead of God. They are performing rituals and they're seeing it as witchcraft. Whereas these are just spiritualities are animistic spiritualities that are indigenous to any people. So that blend of misunderstanding, but also of real practice, real spiritual practices, real anti-evil charms used by African-Americans against slave owners used protection charms to help with freedom, to help protect from evil spirits, from nightmares especially, we see this sort of link between this misunderstanding and real magical practices. And when all three came together and then you start to get the influence of Chinese medicine and traditional medicine and beliefs mixed in, you start to mix all these beliefs together and suddenly what were completely separate indigenous and traditional religious systems between separate cultures has been blended into this long line of folklore that we're now reading about in these collections from the memoirs of American Folklore Society that are citing, oh, a conjure doctor who's native or a conjure doctor who's black or a conjure doctor who's white. And it's like, oh, so throughout history, people have been exchanging these beliefs. They have been intertwining. They have been appropriating, yes. And they've also been learning and training. And all of that has happened. And I think all of it, as evil as some parts of that can be, has also led to a completely unique folklore of magic and witchcraft that's very American and very distinct.
0: It's so fascinating. I mean, it's just like, oh, I could just like, I don't know. This is so interesting to me. And one of the things you pointed out in your book is how the concept of the devil was, I don't want to say bastardized, but because the concept of the devil was interpreted by the Christian church as being the opposite of God or like the ultimate evil, that wasn't necessarily who, you know, there might be dark spirits or there might be different spirits that witches were working with or were in concert with, but it didn't mean necessarily that they were talking to the guy with the horns and the pitchfork, right? Can you talk a little bit about this idea? Because people do think of witches as consorting with the devil. And maybe they are, but maybe the devil isn't who you think the devil is. Can you talk a little bit about that and how the church's influence, the Christian church specifically, in some ways, influenced what we consider to be witchcraft today or what maybe giving the negative concept of witchcraft because of their
1: misunderstanding of the spirit world? Absolutely. Uh, Witch trials throughout Europe, particularly in England and Scotland, had such a tremendous effect on all of the colonies coming out of those countries at the time. Same in Spain and Portugal. Their witch trial period of the 15 and 1600s was so bloody, so violent, so widespread, and probably killed absolutely no actual practitioners of witchcraft. Killed mostly innocent people, midwives, Jewish people, people who were just anyone, anybody who at the time was their big enemy in their place at that time, or who was even remotely thinking for themselves and very different, the witch trials opened up a Pandora's box, really, of beliefs um, regarding evil, true evil, and evil haunting every place. And so now everything that isn't God, everything that isn't Christian, well, that's the devil. That's evil, that's pure evil, and it's all in service to him. And any pagan god is just another visage of the devil. But we're talking about ancient deities here. We're talking about ancient deities of witchcraft, too, like Ekate, the Greek goddess of witchcraft, or the Hebrew goddess Lilith, who has been retconned into a demon queen of evil, you know, the sister or lover or both of the biblical Lucifer. Now, traditional witchcraft practices. That takes a completely different view of the devil. The devil in the Bible is a very specific entity they're talking about. And combining that figure with, say, the jinn of Arabic mythology is completely incorrect. They're not symbols of evil. They're not devils. But they have now taken that connotation in a lot of modern vernacular. People associate djinn with demons. Even the word demon, well, that comes from the Greek daemon. And the Greek daemons were neutral. They could be good spirits. They could be helpful. They weren't necessarily just waiting around with pitchforks to burn the souls of the good and the innocent. Stolas is one of my favorite demons from the Goetia. And he's, you know, he teaches math. And I can't say that's the most evil thing I've heard from a demon. <laughs> um, There was a misrepresentation because Christianity's hold on the Western world was so powerful that everything that was not God has become associated with the devil. Even gods, ancient gods like Pan, because of his goat horns, or Kernanos from Romano-Gallic religion with his antler horns. But think about that. Those are prey animals. Those are forestal agricultural deities who have horns, and now... They are also associated with the devil. These are mostly trickster spirits, nature spirits, that are being associated with the devil. Underworldly spirits, like Ecate being associated with queens of demons. The Irish goddess Morrigan, because she's a queen of battle and bloodshed, now being associated with demons And it's completely incorrect to associate them with demons on an evil level. And it's pretty incorrect to associate demons with evil. This concept of pure evil really isn't at play in traditional witchcraft practices. And the devil that traditional witches sometimes might actually still worship, you know, Lucifer, the light bringer, not the god of evil, but the light bringer, the god of intelligence, the first forge, the first fire, the first spark of light, the freer of people from falseness from from ignorance somebody who brought illumination you know how he is perceived is entirely different from a traditional witchcraft angle how tricksters spirits like the puka how they are perceived that's different that's not an evil demon could he mess you up yeah i'm sure if he wanted to i (laughs) but that's not what witches are working with they're not working with this supreme evil to them this is just another spirit or another entity so the devil <laughs> the devil we know of in modern western vernacular he is such a concept of christian hysteria that he overlaps with trickster spirits.
0: Right. It's so again this is your book is just totally blows my mind in terms of just rethinking so many of the things that we take for granted whether that's you know superstitions or why we have certain feelings or ideas about things like evil. I thought that was so fascinating. Another area of the book that I really enjoyed was this idea of who gets to be a witch, right? Like, do you have to be born into witchcraft? Do you have to go through some initiation rites? And I know you said that you're kind of, I feel like your thoughts in the book suggest that anybody can be a witch in some ways. But you said that the truth is witchcraft is an action. It is a way one lives their lives. And it doesn't really matter if you're converted or were born with it. Witches don't belong to some specific bloodline. There's no witch gene. We are not all descended from angels or fairies. So can you tell, I love, your book is so wonderful. I hope everybody listening goes out and orders this book when we're done with this episode. But tell me a little bit about your thoughts
1: about who
0: gets to be a witch, basically. How does one become a witch?
1: Anyone can be a witch. Witchcraft really is an action. It's the actions you take. If you are casting spells, communing with the spirits, engaging in magical practice on that level, you can be a witch. So I think when people think of witchcraft in the modern era, they're very much associated with Wicca, and Wicca is a very formal, particular religion within the New Age religious sphere. And it itself is not a form of witchcraft. There are Wiccans who practice witchcraft, however, not all Wiccans are witches, and certainly not all witches are Wiccans. It's actually probably. Um, The growth numbers probably might be shrinking. Traditional witchcraft is growing. But when people think of it, they're thinking of Wicca, which oftentimes traditionally comes with initiations, self-dedication. You can buy any book from Llewellyn Press, and you'll find a million of them that have steps, step-by-step to initiate into that particular religion. But when it comes to traditional witchcraft, just witchcraft itself as a concept, anyone can do that. Anyone can engage in it. It is a practice you take if it's as simple as picking up a rock because that rock wants to come home with you (laughs) or putting a picture of your ex on the altar and and vigorously stabbing with needles. (laughs) Both are witchcraft. It's entirely a matter of your will and your connection with the spirit world. And if you feel like you have that connection with the spirits, with the unseen world, with otherworldly things, and you put that into practice in your life in some gesture of, connection that alone is witchcraft and that's for the individual person to define you will never find a, a definition that works for everybody in every culture it's too individualized and at this point it's more of a movement it's a movement it's a social hashtag it's a way people are living their life people who don't actually practice magic real like don't sit down and think about it don't sit down and put ritual into use are referring to themselves as witches as a political tool I love that. I love it because that's what witchcraft is. It is an opposition tool. It is a tool against oppression. It is wild and it is hard to define, but it is magic.
0: Along those lines, though, let's jump back to that cultural appropriation question within witchcraft. If anybody can be a witch, um, anybody can claim it. You know, there has been articles that are saying that Black witches are feeling that white women are appropriating different attributes of their practice without understanding what it's about. I know you address this in the book as well, talking about treading carefully with the idea of, on the one hand, you're saying, particularly in the United States, witchcraft is this, you know, kind of blend of different cultures that have come together, but that doesn't mean you should just pop in and say, oh, I'm going to use this one aspect of witchcraft and claim it. Can you pull that apart a little bit about this idea of anybody can kind of participate in witchcraft or anybody can claim themselves as a witch? Where are the boundary lines as to culturally specific practices? Does anybody own one thing versus another?
1: I think there is a very big distinction between Stepping into witchcraft itself, which is a broad art with a lot of ends and pieces that can sort of just be imagined up, really, that can be taken from a lot of places without it being from a cultural context, like the concept of sympathetic magic and contagious magic, using a doll to represent a person. Now that's found all over the world. So stealing that's going to be a lot more difficult. However, when you start to approach insular cultural traditions like hoodoo, root work, conjure work, which is distinctly tied to African-American magic, traditional magical systems that developed post-Diaspora, you're starting to tread into a very sensitive place. And those places aren't witchcraft. Those are magical traditions. And they're very much tied to Afro-American history. So it can be really jarring for someone to look over and see a white American using Lama Dama dolls and having an Alegua statue outside and being like, oh, well, I bought this. It's a protective spirit. I put it outside. Well, you know, in Santaria, that is a very big move. And that statue shouldn't just be willy-nilly purchased and put outside. There are structures, rituals, taboos, and rules that have to be observed for that to be considered respectful. And so because that is insular and in santeria, usually you do go through training, you go through some forms of initiation, be placed with your orisha and your spirits, there's a level of education you've been given. And when people just sort of, oh, I take and blend everything I find, you know, that can be a real sensitive place if you're dealing with traditions that are tied to oppression, to the diaspora, like conjure, like root work, like voodoo. I'm of the belief that when we look through history, we're seeing people, non-African Americans participating in conjure, in root work, in voodoo. There have been some famous queens of voodoo in Louisiana that were white. So, you know, my whole point of view is people have to tread carefully because when you go into those spaces, it can be sensitive. And when you're working with people whose cultures are constantly being appropriated from um, like Native Americans it's incredible how much the obsession with white sage smudging has actually harm ecology of smudging of this white sage, you know, how using Palo Santo has actually harmed the ecosystem where Palo Santo is being uh, taken from. So putting that into religious practices sometimes can have a negative unintended consequence. So we have to be a lot more supportive and kind of careful with where we're going with some of these practices. That doesn't mean I don't think they should be shared. I just think we have to make sure we are aware of the unintended consequences and pain we might be causing in that. So I'd say a distinction between that is that, you know, anyone can be a witch, but can anyone be a voodoo practitioner? No, I think you need to be trained in voodoo. Um, And that comes with education about the history of the Haitian people in America, the history of West Africans in America. It's intersectional with culture at that point. Tell me about a little bit your
0: thoughts about, um, because you, you do address this in your book and also because of your own background about the multicultural witch, you know, the person who is themselves multiracial, like where do they fit in this paradigm?
1: I'd say we're so much more the norm than people think we are. So much of the magic we are practicing as modern witches really is already this effort. And what we're not doing is acknowledging that this is this is actually coming from a really fun place. You know, for people like me who are mixed, I get a chance to utilize the same folk magic that I learned under my Norwegian grandpa. Um, <laughs> and I get to blend that with these same Southern superstitions that come from my paternal side of the family. And all of that had already been such a part of my life. Leaving spirit plates, which was taught to me from my aunt, who was Cowichan and Pakwachan, leaving a spirit plate out is still a huge part of my life. And that's where it comes from. Not speaking ill of the dead is definitely a Southern superstition that I still very much (laughs) obey. I think for most mixed people who are getting into witchcraft, there comes a point where you start to look at it and you go, am I disrespecting one of my ancestors by doing this? If I celebrate my Norwegian ancestry or my English ancestry and the magic that's found there, and English folk magic is some of the best. It's incredible stuff. Some interesting, crazy stuff. Love it. Is practicing that as a Brown person of color, am I disrespecting of my, any of my ancestors who were oppressed Am I?" blending traditions that I couldn't possibly understand from foreign countries that I haven't been to to suit my needs. And that's such a personal question that comes down to, well, how authentic do you feel in those practices? How much faith do you hold? How much are you willing to invest time and education into learning about where you come from and your ancestors and people you aren't related to who might have been a great influence to you anyway? And how do you respectfully combine those into a personal practice and, you know, as long as that's where it's staying and you're not selling these as your own idea, you know, selling different spiritualities as your own personal concepts, I think that works out really well for a lot of mixed people. I think being asked to choose to, to sort of honor one grandmother over the other, one ancestor over the other is really damaging. And it's been a really wonderful experience to trace all of my roots and learn that all the similarities they have outweigh some of these differences that were weighing me down. What I found that they shared in terms of love and spirituality and faith and fear really, for me personally, outweighs the fear and the questions I had weighing on me. And I'm hoping that's what other mixed switches will do too, is find that happy place where you find more similarities than differences.
0: That's wonderful. And I hope that's really, you know, helpful for a lot of mixed people, whether they're looking into witchcraft or not, because I feel like that's some um, advice that could be applied to kind of any kind of identity search for mixed race people. Pulling us into kind of present day, I'm just curious what you think about current representations in pop culture about witches, because along with this interest in witches that we're Researchers are seeing And I think I saw I literally saw a quote That said Today In like 2021 There are more witches Than Presbyterians In America Which (laughs) I'm like Wow That sounds like a lot But again I'm like How many Presbyterians are there, actually? But just to say that, I think it sounds like there's definitely a swell of witches in America today. And there are, like I said, this book that I just read, Once and Future Witches. There are TV shows. There's a show that I actually was interested in called Siempre Bruja.
1: There. I love that show. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I highly recommend it. It's great. Listen to it in the original language with the translator on cuz it's excellent. Yes. So I was just going to ask if you had a favorite and or in general what your thoughts about
0: Pop Culture's version of which is like if what you see and if you're happy with it, if you think it could be improved or if you don't pay that much attention.
1: I have been so much happier with witch media in the last few years than I ever had been in my whole life. I grew up in the era of Charmed and The Craft, and they were cool shows at the time, but I felt like they represented uh, witches in a way that, you know, is not the best, not the most accurate, sometimes a little soft, sometimes a little silly. And when American Horror Story Coven came out, I was floored. I loved it. I thought it was just... I'm so glad they put some grit back in. I've really loved Sabrina, The Chilling Adventures. I think that it was a fun introduction for people to this idea that, yes, there are sects of witchcraft in which there is a devil, and that gets complicated. <laughs> I also loved that the last season focused more on female empowerment, the worship of the ancient witch goddess Ecate, who has, you know, come to the huge forefront in modern witch communities. Um, right now, my favorite witch show... I love Motherland, Fort Salem. That's on Freeform, and it's about a military academy of witches in an alternate America where witches from 1692 hadn't been burned. They came to a military agreement to represent the USA and our foreign interests, and it's about them being trained, and it is great. That sounds amazing.
0: (laughs) I don't watch enough TV. Like, I'm just not hip to most shows on, and I know that I'm probably missing out. I'm definitely putting... For everybody else. I'm putting that in the show notes so we can all look it up. But definitely putting that on my to be watched list. That sounds fascinating.
1: Oh yeah, it's really good. I'm actually really happy with some of the you know, they're they're kind of going into deep magic lore in shows like Sabrina. And in Motherland, Fort Salem, I think it's really cool that people are looking more into folklore instead of new age or in, you know, just sort of broad concepts of magic. They're looking at actual spells, actual charms. They're consulting with real witches and going, you know, tell us about how would you trap the devil? How do you trap a witch? Well, you you put a nail through her footprint, (laughs) you know, and they use that in an episode of Sabrina. And I thought, you know, that's so cool. Or the use of sonic magic in motherland, Fort Salem. I love it because that's not something people talk about, but sound plays a huge ritual use in magical practices. And that's a huge part of their military training. And, um, I'm I'm loving and I'm loving what which media is doing. <laughs> That's excellent. So, um as we wrap up
0: and I can only imagine that after listening to this interview that some people might get interested in in addition to reading your book and maybe some other books, like they may be interested in just learning more and maybe dabbling in the practice. Where would you tell somebody to go or what would you tell somebody to do so that they could respectfully engage in learning more for themselves and maybe trying, I don't know, trying some spells, trying some practices? Where would you send them? What would you tell them to do?
1: I would tell them to start with their intuition. Start really basic, really small. There's a lot of great basic spell books out, magic books written by some really fun authors, where none of this is being looked at from specifically a cultural perspective. It's all very broad forms of magic that you could find pretty much anywhere. You know, uh, apotropaic magic, agrarian magic, funereal rites. There's a lot of books that can speak to that. But specifically, if I was going to tell somebody, um, I would say, find whatever your interest is, whatever you are most passionate about. Do you want to get more into divination? Do you like tarot cards? And you're interested in witchcraft too? Well, tarot cards are a great introduction. You can learn a lot about concepts of witchcraft and magic from it and be introduced to the community through divination tools. Or if you're into cooking, magical cooking, you want to learn how to seduce or entrance or heal with cooking. First thing you do, Google witch cookbooks. You're going to (laughs) find some really interesting stuff, some great ones like Kitchen Witchery or books from um, Scott Cunningham. But some of my favorite to start with would be Jambalaya by Louisa Taish. It's primarily Afro-American magical system-based for beginner practitioners. If you are interested in witchcraft for the herbal end, for traditional medicine, for the magic and folklore of plants, I would strongly recommend Working the Roots Over 400 Years of Traditional African-American Healing by Michelle E. Lee. And for people who, like myself, grew up in the Southwest and really love everything having to do... With herbs, healings, rituals, and who are familiar perhaps with Brujeria, Curanderismo, Santeria, Elisio Cheo Torres's Healing with Herbs and Rituals, a Mexican Tradition. I loved it because it addresses the multiculturality and pan-spirituality of medicine in Latin American communities. All of those are great. For people, especially Black witches like myself, you know, if you're a brown witch and you're trying to look more into Afro-American history of witchcraft or magic itself, Black Magic by Yvonne Chirot, great. Excellent book. I definitely highly recommend. And then of course, Zorniel Hurston, she got all that folklore. You want to learn about some amazing folklore that has been absorbed out of the African-American community and into broader European-American practices. Zora Neale Hurston, definitely. Thank you for bringing that up. And tell
0: us a little bit about your blog, because I know on your blog, you often share spells and extra tidbits of knowledge that aren't necessarily in your book. What is your blog about? Like, what's the purpose of your blog and what can people find there?
1: My blog is a collection of everything magical from art to folklore that I found to personal practices like learning how to bake, um, how to serve the spirits um, in my own home as a domestic witch since... Quarantine happened and I suddenly found myself becoming a kitchen and domestic witch. Um, So I started um, this blog a few years ago because I really wanted to connect to other green witches. Other witches who, like myself, are um, practitioners of bioregional animism. We are worshipers of nature, followers of all green and growing beautiful things you know, the spirits I primarily work with are the plants um, and the trees and the life that grows around me. So I started the blog to sort of highlight the folklore and animism of the natural world around me. And it began to evolve into my art, my statuaries, my uh, personal beliefs, but mostly a collection of all the folklore I can find regarding magic that I practice from love spells to tarot magic to uh, familiars, pretty much anything I can think of, but mostly it's just about my spiritual connection between nature and the practice of magic. And people who go on my blog can find statuary commissions, artwork, you know, you search the search bar. And if you're interested in some basic love charms that are not going to be heavy duty, not going to require you to do anything insane or crazy, and you're just trying to Get a hold of magic. I have plenty of that. Just type in love spells, um, track trick spells, familiar spirits, you know, just sort of play around if you're interested, if anyone's interested in learning a little bit more about folk magic and folk witchcraft, just start Googling terms inside of the search bar on my site and there's bound to be something that'll lead you somewhere. That's wonderful. And I'll have a link, of course, to VIA's site. The last thing I want to ask you actually
0: is about the book itself. And just, I mean, honestly, it is so good. It's so well-written. And again, like I said, so full of information. Can you give us just a little bit of a backstory on the writing process for you?
1: Yes, Uh, so the Folklore... I started collecting when I started college, which was 15 years ago, (laughs) about 15 years ago. um, I started collecting all of this folklore and I thought I'd put it to good use. I had already been writing for years, mostly for the college I was working for at the time, writing personal stuff. I had written tons of books, but I had never thought to get any of them published. And then in 2019, I just got this absolute wild hair. (laughs) I was sitting here and I was Googling and I was looking through and I was like, why can I not find anybody else who is mixed and talking about this and talking about how our place in this and how this isn't magic that belongs to anybody? Witchcraft is a multicultural experience, especially for Americans. Where am I not finding this? And so I started to pull all of my folklore resources Everything from my blog that had been really meaningful or well-received, and I started compiling it, and it took about seven or eight months before I got all of this completely done. Contacted some friends at Moon Books, asked if they would like it, and within hours, the guy says, we have nothing like this, and we desperately, desperately need some representation here. Let's do this. And so really it was so fast. I'd collected all of this folklore It was just sitting in piles and piles of notebooks. And then I was like, you know, fine. If no one else is going to say anything, I'll just say something. And maybe out there, someone will grab this book off the shelf and go, Hey, I feel the same way. I'm mixed. I like witchcraft. I want to know a little bit more. I feel connected here. And that was the entire point. I didn't expect it to get popular or to be liked by anyone (laughs) very much. I just was hoping someone out there is going to read this and go, ah, someone, someone like me. I think that is such a great story, especially for all of
0: the aspiring writers out there. You know, it just brings me back to this idea that there are so many perspectives and stories, particularly about people of color in this country, whose stories have not been told. And I'm just so happy, Via, that you said, well, I'm just going to do it myself. And, you know, going full circle— I feel like this book was written for me in the sense that I had these questions, I wanted to know these answers, and it just popped up at the perfect time. And I'm sure there's going to be so many more people who are exactly like, yeah, this is me, or I do want to know this information. And why hasn't anybody ever written this before? So I wish you all the best of luck with getting this book out into the world so that more people can be informed. because. This is um, like, again, it's popular right now, but this has been a part of our history as a country since the beginning of this country, because obviously witches are not new.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are. We are one of those oldest occupations in history, one of those oldest, oldest practices. Yes, absolutely. And I'm begging you to please
0: read The Once and Future Witches, and then I'd love to have you come back on the show and then we can talk about it.
1: We'll have a book yes, club reading yes. about it. Oh my gosh. That is top of my list. I'm on Amazon on the side screen right now. Like, okay, top of (laughs) list. Excellent. All right. Thank you so
0: much, Via. I appreciate you for being here. And again, best of luck with you and your book. Everybody don't forget the book is called Folkloric, American Witchcraft and the Multicultural Experience by Via Hedera. Thank you again for being here and happy witching. Thank you, Lori. Okay, didn't I say that that was going to be a fascinating conversation? Or mind-blowing. I just thought that was so fascinating. Via Hadira is such a wealth of knowledge. She knows so much, and it's obvious that this has been something that she has been passionate about for such a long time. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, and I'm sure you could tell that I could have kept talking and talking and talking with Via. And I hope, though, that you guys learned something about American history that you didn't know before. I know I did. Again, I never really thought about witchcraft or witch lore or this idea of magic and spirituality that really does connect so many different cultures within this country. I'd love to hear what you guys thought. Please feel free to leave comments on the My American Melting Pot website on the show notes for this episode. And if you want to learn more about the diverse history of witchcraft, definitely pick up VIA's book, Folkloric, American Witchcraft and the Multicultural Experience. It is really accessible and easy to read and chock full of information. And I promise to put all of the links of the other books and resources via mentioned during our conversation in the show notes so that you can continue on with your investigations in this topic. Because if you're anything like me, and I'm sure some of you are, your appetite has been whetted, your curiosity has been piqued, and you're going to want to know more. So check out the show notes. I'll put all those links in there. You're welcome. If you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope you did, and you want to support the podcast, here are a few quick ways you can do that. Number one, subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. But in particular, if you could do your rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. Number two, Tell somebody about the show. Tell them either online or offline. Anybody who you know loves to read, loves multicultural books, give them the heads up about our show. And last but not least, the next time you're about to buy a new book, please visit the My American Melting Pot bookshop. You'll find books by all of our guests on the show, as well as a curated collection of fiction and nonfiction for both adults and children, who love multicultural books. I will leave a link in the show notes for the My American Melting Pot Bookshop and remember that every time you buy something from our bookshop, we get a small commission that goes to help support the running of this show. So, again, thank you for anything and everything that you can do to support me and this podcast. Melting Pot Stories is produced by me, Lori L. Tharps. Our editor and technical director is Brad Linder. Our theme music was composed by Sumi Tanoka. Thank you as always for listening, Melting Pot community. And until next week, keep reading multicultural stories.